Turning your Bible tonight to Titus, uh, the little book of Titus here, one of uh, Paul's uh, letters, uh, pastoral epistles. Well, the little book of Titus is where we're going to be for a few minutes here. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've had two of our men uh, from our church go out into eternity. Both of them, their wives, uh, preceded them in death by uh, uh, several years. And um, this past uh, Thursday, we had the, the funeral up the street here at the funeral home for Brother Carl Cole. Many of you remember him. Some of you, if you're newer to, to Bible Baptist, you probably didn't know Brother Carl at all. It's, it's been maybe four or five years uh, since uh, he's been able to be here. And um, but we had a funeral uh, there for him, and then tomorrow is uh, Brother Al Schiffler's uh, funeral, as we've been mentioning. Both of these men, they loved the Lord, and they loved the church, and they loved to sing. They were actually friends. They often would sit together after they were both uh, widowed, and, um, but they both loved to sing. And now they both joined the ranks of heaven and maybe singing in some uh, angelic choir up there uh, I, I don't know but I do know while they were here they both just loved to sing and um, as I've been preparing for their funerals this past Thursday and tomorrow it's kind of made me think again more sweetly of heaven and so I want to just uh, uh, turn our attention to this passage of Scripture tonight, and we'll be looking at a few others, but I want to start here in Titus uh, chapter 2 as we look on the motivations of heaven. That's what I want us to think about here for a few minutes. Brother Charles Fuller, he once announced to his uh, congregation that he's going to be speaking on heaven the next Sunday. And during the course of the week, of that particular week, he got this beautiful letter from an older gentleman in the church who was very ill, and he has, uh, I've got here that letter, at least portion of it, that I'd like to read to you. The letter from this gentleman to his pastor, who said the previous Sunday that he was going to be speaking on heaven next Sunday, he said this. Next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I have been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me, which will never need to be remodeled nor repaired because it will suit me perfectly, individually, and will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations, for they rest on the rock of ages, Floods cannot wash it away. No locks nor bolts will ever be placed upon its doors. For no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. Now almost completed. 
and almost ready for me to enter in, abide in peace eternally without fear of being ejected. There is a valley of deep shadow between the place where I live in California and that to which I should a short time. I cannot reach my home in that city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I am not afraid because the best friend I ever had went through the same valley long, long ago and drove away all its gloom. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago. And I hold his promise in printed form never to forsake me or leave me alone. He will be with me as I walk through the valley of shadows, and I shall not lose my way when he is with me. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles, California, but I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey, no return. We'll try to get us back up here. I'm going to speak really, really loudly and hopefully not disturb us all of a sudden really badly. He says this. Can you hear me okay if I'm shouting? Okay. He said he finishes the letter this way. Yes, I am all ready to go. And I may not be here while you are talking next Sunday evening, but I shall meet you there someday. And that's a really good letter. And this man certainly, as you hear that letter, he certainly had a clear eye on the future, a clear eye on heaven, a clear focus on looking heavenward, even while he was still down here on, on the earth. And that made me think of this particular passage, which I want us to consider here in Titus chapter 2. If you've been a Christian very long, you probably are acquainted with these verses. You may have even memorized them. Uh, during some point in your life. Paul writes here in Titus 2, beginning in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Paul is urging us here in this passage to live today with an eye on the future. And that's what I want us to think about here for a few minutes. Thoughts of heaven motivate us towards certain activities. And there are three of them that are mentioned in our text tonight that I want us to consider. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we, as we look at this. Father, thank you for the bright prospect that we have, the certainty based on the promises of your word, that one day we will be with you in all, for all eternity in your holy home 
that we call heaven. And so we pray as we consider motivations with that in mind this evening, we pray that you would stir our hearts. We know that our minds can often be so focused on the things of this world and we can be distracted by this world and we can often lose sight from day to day about eternity. And so we pray that our time together in your word tonight would encourage us that our thoughts of heaven would motivate us. And so guide us tonight, Lord, as we look into your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the first thought I want us to consider. Motivations or thoughts of heaven motivate me to, first of all, make priority investments. We've been talking about that during our stewardship month here. Our investing for the future but investing in a wise way uh, for the future. You know, we always think about the end as we invest in anything, whatever it is. We will think about the end. We'll think about the future. Of course, we all know that this evening is the Super Bowl, and we're very aware of that. The Super Bowl is the very best that football has to offer. And so teams work hard to get there. They consider the end. Their goal is winning the Super Bowl. And so they make priority investments that will help them accomplish their goal. But they begin that by considering the end. They choose to invest in certain things. They choose to invest in things like disciplined exercise regimen, like regular strength training, like a balanced diet, like appropriate rest, and many other things. And they invest in these particular ways because they thought about the end. They want to have a winning season. They ultimately want to get into the Super Bowl and ultimately win that final game. So these men on the field are making investments even before they begin the season and all through the season, they're making investments with the end in mind. And that's the way we always do. Anytime we're going to invest, we're thinking about the end. And the same is true in our Christian life. In our Christian life, as we live it here on the earth, we're making choices as well. And we're making certain choices and we're encouraged here with a motivation toward heaven to invest properly. And so Paul writes here to Titus in verse 11 as he speaks about the grace of God. He's been talking in the first 10 verses about behaviors of Christians. That they live in verse 2, the aged men sober and grave and temperate and sound in faith and charity and in patience and the aged women that they be in this kind of behavior and that they're passing that on to younger generations and he's talking all through that in those first 10 verses about their behavior but that's all motivated by the grace of God that works itself out in our lives and so he says that in verse 11 for the grace of God that brings salvation, has appeared to all men, and that grace is teaching us about our investments. It's teaching us, as he says there, to make certain choices. 
We are investing in certain things and not in others while we're on this earth. We are not investing in ungodliness. We're not investing in worldly lust. And we're not doing that. Why? Because we're thinking about the end. We are making other investments. We are investing in, as he says in verse 12, there, we are investing in sober living. You may have a translation that says self-controlled living. That's what that means. Sober living. We are investing in righteous or upright living. We are investing in what the scripture calls godly living. And we're doing that because of the end. There's a future. There's a goal. There's something that we're working toward. And so our thoughts of heaven motivate us to make certain choices. We're making priority investments regarding our treasures and it's heaven that motivates us that direction just like Matthew writes in Matthew 6 you remember studying these verses in our study through Matthew lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth here's what happens to those treasures moth and rust corrupt them thieves break through and steal them But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth and rust do not corrupt heavenly treasures, and thieves cannot steal them. And so that's the the priority that that, uh, heaven is, is enforcing on us. As we think about heaven, we are investing in a particular way, and we're living godly, soberly, uprightly, Investing our treasures, laying them up in, in heaven. And we're doing that because of our future. It's heaven that motivates us to do that. Would any of us be doing that if there was no thought of heaven? If we did not even know that heaven was a place? If we did not even know that there was an eternity to be gained? Would any of us be laying up treasure for later? No, we would be investing in this world. We would be investing in what we think is going to give us the best life here. That's what we would be doing if we had any good sense about us. But we don't do that as the people of God. And we don't do that because we do know that there is heaven. We do know that there is an eternity that awaits us. And so, as we think about how we're going to use the treasures that we have received in this life, well, we want to use them in a certain priority. And heaven, the bank of heaven, and investing there is is the priority. We make priority investments regarding not only our treasures, but regarding our trials. As well. Here's what Romans 8 says. Paul writes here, remember this verse when we studied Romans? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, Paul's been speaking about hardship and trial and challenge, and then he says, You know, I reckon this. Here's what I have accounted I have accounted that the sufferings of this present time, 
They are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Which shall be revealed in us. Paul's talking about something that's going to take place in the future. And it's his thoughts of heaven. It's his thoughts of, fu- of the future that motivate him properly even in the midst of trials. He said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're not going to go there, but if we had time to go there, you would see in the first few verses there, probably around verse 7 or 8 there in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking about so many different challenges. That's the passage in the Bible where he's just rehearsing one hardship after another, one persecution after another. You're probably familiar with that passage. And then he's talking about one challenge after another, and then he gets to verse 16. And we know these verses better when he says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, our inward man is renewed day by day. For our, and he calls it, light affliction. All of these challenges, these struggles, these battles, these trials in, in his, his ministry, he calls them light affliction. And it's but for a moment. And all of that is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we're talking about making priority investments. When you get toward the end of your life, you tend to reflect back and you tend to think about how you lived. You tend to think about how you invested early on in life. We tend to think more of these are things that I would like to do. These are goals that I have. These are investments that at some point here in my life that look so way ahead of me. These are things that I would like to do. But when you have lived most of that life and then you begin to get toward your twilight years, you're not thinking so much about investments that you would like to do in your lifetime. Because you realize in that letter that this fellow wrote to to his pastor there that we read, he's realizing that my time here on earth is much shorter now. And you begin to look back on your life, not so much on the future that's right out in front of you. You begin to look back on your life and you begin to, to think about and you begin to analyze, well, how have I lived How have I invested my life? What is it going to be like when I, humanly speaking, may be shortly meeting the Lord? And what heaven does, as we think about heaven in our youth, what heaven does is it motivates us To make good investments. So when we reflect back on that toward the end of our lives. We can be thankful that we attended to the scripture. And that we we made investments in the bank of, of heaven. That's what heaven does. It's the thoughts of heaven. That help me to make eternal investments. Secondly it's the thoughts of heaven to help me walk 
in personal holiness. We deny ungodliness. We deny worldly lusts that war against our soul. We don't give them a foot in the door. But instead, we live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And again, it's thoughts of heaven that motivate us to do that. We're motivated to walk in personal holiness as we think about heaven. We anticipate the future and we understand there is a coming judgment. And we know that. And we want to be able to give a good account at that judgment seat of Christ that all believers will face. Second Corinthians 5, you know these verses. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror, Paul uses the word, the terror of the Lord, We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. That word terror is the regular word that we see for the fear of God that we were speaking about last uh, Sunday evening, the reverence, the respect for who God is and what God says that he will do. So it's thoughts of the future It's thoughts of us one day leaving this life and meeting uh, the Lord and giving an account to the Lord. That is what helps motivate us to live today in personal holiness. We rest in the grace of God in that. None of us make it to heaven because of our good works. We don't don't have those. They they will never. All of the good works that we try to do here are tainted by by a sinful nature. So we rest. We will make it to heaven not on any works that we have done, but only what Jesus has done for us. And I think on a Sunday night crowd we understand that. But we do want to live in personal holiness. There is a a theology that has been going around over the last few years that has uh, inappropriately, and I'm I'm using that language very carefully, has inappropriately um, spoken of the grace of God. I feel a little bit hard even using that kind of language because God's grace is significant. But there is a theology out there that says Well, God's grace is sufficient and God's grace covers everything. So it really doesn't matter how I live my life here. I'm not going to live a perfect life. And so I can give my life to whatever I want in this life because it's all covered under the blood. It's all God's grace will just just, uh, be extended over, over all of it. So it really doesn't matter how I live. I don't know how people are drawn into that kind of theology when Paul very clearly says live soberly live righteously live godly in this present world and it again is our thought of heaven a coming judgment where we will be given an account uh, to the Lord 1 John 2 verse 28 to chapter uh, 3 and verse 3 and now little children 
abide in him that when he shall appear because there's something happening in the future children abide in Christ so that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us isn't this just astounding John writes that we should be called the sons of God Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. We're talking about walking in holiness Every man that has this hope, what is this hope? It's the hope that one day we are going to be with the Lord. And we don't know yet all the ins and outs of that. But we do know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. And that kind of theology motivates us. Our thoughts of heaven, our thoughts of the future motivate us. To live in personal holiness. And then finally, our thoughts of heaven motivate us to live with a persevering confidence. And you see that in the last verses here. In verses 13 and 14. Looking for that blessed hope. That glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This text reminds us that his purpose in redeeming us was not just to rescue us from the penalty of sin, but to purify us, to draw us to himself, to make us his people, a unique people, a people exclusively His. And Titus 2.13 teaches us that a powerful and necessary motivation for life, a life of holiness and godliness, is this blessed hope that Paul says. So we're living right now with heaven in mind, with the great hope that we have because of the resurrection It's that blessed hope we're looking for in these verses we looked at earlier at the coming of Christ. Hope consists of three elements. There's first of all a positive expectation to it. And many times you'll hear preachers define hope. As you've heard that many times from this pulpit, hope is not like we say hope. When we use the word hope, there's an element of uncertainty in it, but there's a lot of, of desire that this will be the case. But I'm not sure, but I have a lot of desire that it will be the case. I'm really hoping that it's going to turn out this way. That's not the hope that's used in the Bible. When you see the word hope in the Bible, it is a confident expectation. There's not an element of uncertainty in it. 
When Paul is speaking of the blessed hope, he's not at all he's not at all trying to speak of something that has some uncertainty about it. He's actually thinking the exact opposite of that. When he's talking about the blessed hope, he's talking about a confident expectation. I'm using the word positive here. A positive expectation. But it's not only a positive expectation, it's also a trust in the promise of God. Hope is not only a, a confident, a positive expectation, but there's also a trust in the promise of God. Paul writes about Abraham that we consider this morning. I mentioned in, in, in Romans 4, he staggered not at the promise of God. When God told him in his old age and his wife's old age that he was going to bear a son and that son was going to be the, 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 the father of a, of a multitude and it was through him, through this son, that all these, 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 the world was going to be blessed. And here Abraham is in his old age, but Abraham had a trust in the promise of God. And Paul would write about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God, but was strong in faith and confident that whatever God said he was able to perform, whatever he promised, he was able to, to perform. So when we think about hope, there's this expectation, this confident, positive expectation. There's this trust in the promise of God. And then there's patience. Patience in waiting. As Romans 15.4 says, that we through patience... And comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There is an element of patience. Not fear, not worry. We're not anxious because we're not sure it's going to happen or not. It's going to happen. That's the blessed hope that Paul is speaking of. And we're just waiting patiently on God and God's, and God's time. And then as we think about hope, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. And then he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And with these funerals coming up often, I would read at a graveside, and you've been there at many of these. I almost always like to go to this passage, very familiar in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 17 and 18, where Paul is speaking there about loved ones who have died and gone out into eternity. Well, what happens to them? And Paul's answering their question about that. And then he says in verses 17 and 18, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the hope that we have. And this, so this is what the, the uh, future is. As we, as we think about the future, we are making our investments in eternity. As we think about the future And so that's what I wanted to encourage us with tonight. Just 
I, I would encourage you to think about heaven. I would encourage you to go to the last, the next to the last chapter and read Revelation 21. If we had time, we would just read several of those verses tonight. And in chapter 22, and the next to the last verse in the scripture where the Bible says, even so come Lord Jesus. That's what we're waiting patiently for. But this is the hope that we have in, in Christ. And I want to encourage us tonight to live with that kind of mindset. Anticipating heaven. Anticipating joining those ranks. Anticipating an eternity with Christ. And as we anticipate that, then that governs the way we live here. And our making wise investments priority investments and our walking in personal holiness and our anticipation of meeting the Lord one day with with great hope that we have one day to meet the Lord well let's pray together God you are a God of hope and we thank you for that sometimes we can lose our way we can become hopeless as we set our eyes not on eternity but on this life. We set our, our focus here. We get distracted by things that are here. And, it, and, and I look at our own resources and we can, can be hopeless. We can despair. But we thank you that when we look the way you intend us to look. For we, when we look... For the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus. God, then we know that we can live the way you want us to live. That we can live with the right perspective there. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to live as strangers here on the earth. Knowing that our citizenship is in heaven. So help us to live that way, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.